to Proper Charlie, the weekly podcast by me, Charlie Murray. It's all about my thoughts on the last seven days. There's music, people I've seen, literature, and so much more. It's time to share Proper Charlie's thoughts with you. So, welcome along and enjoy the next 30 minutes with me, a right Proper Charlie. through some of the music that I've been listening to this week. I've been listening to a lot of different things this week, and as I sat looking through the pile of albums from my record collection that I've played this week, I couldn't help but laugh to myself. It's such an erratic combination. There was mellow country music, classic folk music, and then heavy metal and some cheesy power ballads thrown in for good measure. I often wonder what a person's taste in music could tell you about them, but I dread to think what mine might say. I suppose it would either say that I love all different kinds of music, or that I'm frightfully indecisive. Perhaps both. All that being said, the first album that I want to talk to you all about today is arguably one of the most beautiful country albums of all time. Wine Coloured Roses by George Jones This was the 27th studio album from American country singer-songwriter George Jones. I first discovered the music of George Jones whilst helping my grandfather in his carpentry shed as a young girl. He had a cassette player in there and he used to always let me pick the tapes that we would listen to. Little did either of us know that one day that carpentry shed would become the office where I spent many years writing about music. I always picked this album because I so loved to hear my granddad sing along to it. I feel like I say this so often when talking about music that I have grown up listening to, but this is another album that made more and more sense to me the older that I became. What was once just a beautiful song that my granddad would sing whilst he worked became a ballad of an alcoholic man attempting to apologise to the one he loves because he didn't stop drinking. I sent her some wine-coloured roses, the colour of grapes on the vine. When she sees the wine-coloured roses, they'll tell her I'm still on the wine. George Jones's music is autobiographical and documents his own struggles with alcoholism, with a lot of his biggest hits relating, in one way or another, to alcohol. Whether it's the title track of this album, or songs such as If Drinking Don't Kill Me, which, although it doesn't actually feature on this album, is one of his most popular songs. It's amazing the way George Jones can take something as destructive and ugly as alcoholism and make it sound so beautiful. Especially for those that lived through it with him, but there's something so stunning about the raw honesty within those songs. I really appreciate any creative person who can lay themselves out there like that for all to see. Along the same theme, 
George Jones's music also documents his tumultuous relationships and love of women. Whether it's beautiful songs such as Track 3, The Right Left Hand, that features lyrics such as I put a golden band on the right left hand this time and the right left hand put a golden band on mine. Or the more comedic songs such as Track 5, The Very Best of Me, which talks about what he'll donate upon his death. Give my dry lips to Jack Daniels. Give the jukebox both my ears. Plant one foot in Texas, one in Tennessee. And send my backside to my ex-wife. Tell her to seal it with a kiss. I can remember hearing that song as a young girl and wondering why someone called Jack Daniels would want somebody else's lips. It puzzled me for years, until one day, I was introduced to Jack Daniels. I have to say, I've never wanted to donate my lips to him, but there have been a few occasions when I would have gladly donated my headaches to him. The most beautiful song on Wine Coloured Roses has to be These Old Eyes Have Seen It All. It's a song about George Jones sitting down at a bar with an old man who proceeded to tell George his life story which George then tells us. His life story talks about music and how the old man saw Elvis change the world with rock and roll and Jimmy Rogers yodelling on stage. And then it talks about the war. I saw friends of mine on foreign soil die proud. I saw things over their sun that I still can't talk about. I saw a crazy man named Hitler and his army rise and fall. Yeah, these old eyes have seen it all. It's a truly stunning song on an excellent country music album. It's a wonderful reminder as well to take the time to talk to the older people around us because they have seen it all and can share some truly incredible stories with us all. I can never resist a sad country song. They draw me in every time, and this album is littered with them. I love listening to this album because it gives me such a warm, nostalgic feeling. I can close my eyes and be standing in that carpentry shed all over again, building things with little bits of wood my granddad had cut off whatever he was building, listening to him sing. What's one album that you listen to that takes you back in time like that? I'd love to know. Talking about travelling back in time, the next album that I want to talk to you all about is Jerry Lee Lewis, Live at the Star Club, Hamburg. This is one of the greatest live albums ever recorded, and I'd give anything to travel back in time to be there that night in 1964, to witness the album as it really happened, in all of its frantic glory. Jerry Lee Lewis is an American singer, songwriter and pianist. Musically, he's most known for all of the tours that he did with Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley and Carl Perkins, who along with Lewis were known as the Million Dollar Quartet. Away from music, he had a very dramatic scandal that nearly ended his career when he married his 13-year-old cousin at the age of 22. It's funny, isn't it, how a nine-year age gap can seem like such a massive deal when one of the couple is underage. 
But if they had both been adults, nobody would have thought anything of it. Well, not of the age gap at least. Live at the Star Club Hamburg was recorded not long after Lewis's return to music in the wake of that scandal. And what a return to music it was. This album is exhausting to listen to because it's just relentless. You can hear throughout that the band are struggling desperately to keep up with Lewis as he crashes through song after song in an amazing raucous cacophony of pure rock and roll played exactly as it should be. I think it would have been absolutely amazing to witness this event live, to be stood in the crowd watching the madness unfold. Listening to the album, you can hear that it is a brutally honest performance with almost a desperation to move away from scandals and just get back to music, as he frantically hammers on the piano at what feels like a million miles an hour, as he also sort of screams his way through every song with absolutely everything that he has, leaving both himself and the listener breathless. With a few exceptions, such as ACDC Live in 1991, Nirvana's MTV Unplugged and Johnny Cash at San Quentin and Folsom, I'm not usually a fan of live albums, but with Jerry Lee Lewis, I prefer to listen to this album than to any of his studio albums. I think his music is much better enjoyed live or on a live recording than it is contained in a studio with no accompanying ambient sound, such as the equally loud and wild cheering crowds. I don't think you can really contain a man like Jerry Lee Lewis, and I think this album proved that. I'm curious, what's the best live album you've ever heard? Get in touch and let me know. Stranger of the Week, could it be you? I met the most amazing man this week. Someone who I had wanted to meet for years, more years than I care to remember. In the old days, they used to talk about a knight in shining armour, who comes along at the right place at the right time. The right place for me was an art exhibition in Liverpool. The time was a couple of days ago. Tuesday, to be precise. The only thing that didn't happen was, he didn't turn up on a horse. Hardly surprising, as that's a difficult vehicle to ride in Liverpool city centre. Parking is a nightmare for horses. It's bad enough finding a car parking space, but a stable and a bale of hay at Albert Dock is a tricky one. Anyway, he had a magnetic personality. And we all know about magnets, they either draw you in or pull you away. His magnet drew me in. Our coming together was as natural as a Swiss breakfast, and the mutual attraction was instant. Our eyes never parted and every word he spoke was a jewel that fell from his lips. But hang on, I hear you say, this is stranger of the week not heartthrob of the week. Well, 
What happened next will confirm I've placed him in the right category. Yes, I woke up. Damn. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that the most wonderful dreams turn into the most horrendous nightmares when you wake up and realize it was nothing more than a dream? I felt sad to be honest. Not a believer in that old saying that dreams do come true. I've never had a dream come true and I doubt if you have either. Bummer really. I met him Tuesday night and we parted company when I woke up Wednesday morning. A complete stranger. The strange thing is, I can't remember what he looked like. It didn't really matter. I can't even remember what we spoke about. I don't think that matters much either. That dream made me realize there are good people out there. It's just a shame that sometimes you have to go to sleep to meet them. But remember that. When you see someone sound asleep, they may well be looking and talking to you. Yes, you. They may seem boring as they slouch on the couch, snoring away after a hefty takeaway. But give them the benefit of the doubt. They may not be dreaming about you, of course, but it's best to let sleeping dogs lie in the hope they are sharing an amazing date with your good self. <laughs> Some chance. Literally Literature, my weekly adventure through the literary world. This week I read one of the most stunning books I have ever read. The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. It's the first book in his trilogy, The Kingkiller Chronicles, and it was fantastic. I couldn't put it down. It's written so perfectly that... As you read it, you're completely living the story. I have never read a book where the author has taken quite so much time to build the world and to paint the scene so stunningly. Down to the screws in the table, you can see it all as you read through it. And it's incredible. This is the first book that I've read by Patrick Rothfuss and I'm hooked. I can't wait to read more of his work. This book is set in a fantasy world based around one lead character, Quoth, and we follow his life both in present day, although not at all present day because this is a fantasy novel set in a world and time away from ours, and in Quoth's past as well. He has a dark past and a big secret that we spend the entire book learning, although we never get all of the answers. I'm hoping that they will be revealed throughout the rest of the trilogy. The story is told through Quoth, his own voice, as he tells his story to a scribe, whom he saved from a scrail, a large spider-like monster, which piques the scribe's interest in who Quoth really is, because the magic used to kill and dispose of the scrail is so rare. He tells the scribe that it will take three days for him to tell his story, 
And so it all begins with the first day of his story told through book one. The story is told in such a way that I found it almost impossible to put the book down because I just had to know what happens next. I almost felt that if I put the book down, I would miss part of the story, which I know is a completely ludicrous way to think about a book because of course I wouldn't, but it really felt as though Quoth was telling his story directly to me. And to stop reading for even a moment would have been very rude. One of the things I love about this book has to be the frustration that it causes when we are taken from the past, where Quoth is recounting his life story, back to his present day. So many times I find myself thinking, get on with the story, I want to know what happens next. Not because the present day aspect of the book is boring, it isn't, far from it in fact, but the story of Quoth's past was so enchanting, I just wanted to hear more. It's like when a friend is telling an amazing story about something that happened to them and they get sidetracked by something on the radio or someone walking by and you just want to scream, finish the story! (laughs) Although completely frustrating, I loved that the book made me feel that way. Patrick Rothfuss is a truly incredible writer and I can't wait to read the rest of the Kingkiller Chronicles to hear the rest of Quoth's story, and also just to spend some more time in the stunning world that Patrick Rothfuss has created. Which books are you reading at the moment? I'd love to know. I'm always looking for new book recommendations. Get in touch. episode of Proper Charlie. I've had a great week this week. I've spent a lot of time in my office writing and being generally very creative and I absolutely love it. It feels so good to spend so much time writing. I'd love to hear all about your week, what you've been up to and of course your thoughts on today's show. So get in touch on Twitter at PropperCharlieM or on Instagram at PropperCharliePodcast and let me know.